0: Welcome to Purpose Three Hundred and Sixty, and I'm Carol Cohn, and we have the most one of my. It's going to be one of my faves um, in terms of interviews as well. I have a guest partner today, so first I'd like to um, in, I'd like to um, introduce Amy Weisenbach, and she's senior vice president of marketing and media at the New York Times. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here. And I am so thrilled to have her because, in all truth, I am a New York Times such an advocate. I mean, loyalist advocate. I listen to The Daily. Amy and I were talking about Michael Barbero, who does The Daily, and we're just such, such fans of his. And so a day without the New York Times is like a day without sunlight. So um, it, it's just wonderful to have you here. And with me, I have a co-host, and that is Kristen Kenny. And Kristen is a senior associate at Carol Cohn on Purpose, and she truly is the driver of the podcast. I mean, she is just helps with every single thing to make it so wonderful. And Kristen has a background in journalism. So she's joining me, too. So we're going to co-interview Amy today. So welcome, Kristen.
2: Thank you, Carol. Yes, I am a journalism by training. I have a bachelor's of science in journalism. Uh, was the editor in chief of my high school paper, which sounds a lot cooler than it really was. But um, I just have such a huge passion for the power of independent journalism and in media. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking to you today, Amy.
0: And and also, I just want to make sure I have Amy's title right because it's Senior Vice President of Marketing and Media Strategy because she is so, – yeah. It
1: is. You can um, – I often just externally just say Senior Vice President of Marketing to make it simpler for folks.
0: <laughs> okay. But, and, and I have to also say in great transparency that Amy – um, I heard her at the Arthur Page Society and I immediately ran up to her and said, I've got to have you on the show. And she looks at my name badge and goes, Carol, don't you remember me? I interned for you 15 years I, ago, Fifteen years <laughs> ago, of course. <laughs> well, she's brilliant though. She was at the Harvard Business School. And so she was working. Amy, just tell a little bit about what you were doing at Cone in, in the day.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, the summer between my two years at business school, I wanted to explore the world of marketing, um, but my background's in the nonprofit world. And so I was really drawn to the work that you were doing at Cone. And I did a few-week project to look at the impact of cause marketing.
0: And that was in the early years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so thank you. So, so look, great people always find each other again. So welcome. (laughs) So this is going to be a great show. So I always like to start with the numbers and let's just talk a little bit about the New York Times. They have 150 million people read the content monthly. Their traffic is about three quarters of it is, is mobile. Um, They have perhaps the largest uh, pool of journalists around the globe, um, somewhere around sixteen hundred who reside in one hundred and sixty countries. And so um, let's just start with a little bit about about The New York Times and its people. Um, You know, Amy, how do you feel about working with this organization that has such an overall commitment to journalism today?
1: Yeah, it's been such a, an honor to work at The Times. You know, as a marketer, I really think of my trade as storytelling. And so there's not uh, many better storytellers in the world than the journalists at The New York Times. And so to have the honor of telling their stories um, and particularly telling the the best of the best, the most interesting of the stories that come out of here every day, I think we produce over 250 original pieces of journalism every day. So, you know, many of those go on to have a big impact in the world um, and to be able to have the honor of telling those stories through our marketing has really been been just great.
0: Today we're going to focus on your purpose. And um, I'd like to tell you that when I was at Cannes this year um, with my little, my special Aflac duck, and, uh, you know, I kept watching your campaign because you were winning, 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 and you finally won a Grand Prix. And it might have been even two Grand Prix. So let's turn the clock back and talk about this heavy, powerful focus on seeking the truth. So can you share where it came from, why it's important, um, just to start?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's rooted, uh, I think, as all good brand work is in our mission. And our mission is to seek the truth and help people understand the world. Um, To us, that means that our journalists are seeking the truth by holding power to account, by bearing witness to moments of tragedy and triumph, by giving a voice to the disadvantaged, and really by creating a shared baseline of facts, which ultimately help people understand the world which makes their lives richer and and hopefully makes for a more just society. And so that mission guides everything we do in our journalists and how our journalists think about that that mission. Um, And everything they do is through that, whether it's the kind of objective fact-based journalism that's done by our newsroom or... The way we surface a diverse range of voices and our opinion coverage or, you know, all the new formats that we're innovating in things like the daily podcast or the weekly, which is our new television show that we launched this year. Uh, And so we really just wanted to tell the story of that work and of our mission um, in our marketing.
0: Was there a point in time where your executives got together and they said, I mean, obviously journalism today is just under such siege and deep fakes and fake news and, um, you know, everybody, big, you know, important people pointing at the New York Times saying fake news, fake news. And so you really came out strong with your purpose to seek the truth and help people understand the world. Um, why don't you get into you know one of your favorite um campaigns and how you've selected the words, where you've run the campaign? So let's just start there because we can cascade this into lots of other questions.
1: yeah, sure. Um, well, I think if you look back to the very first truth ad that we ran, um, and just think about the context that we were in, certainly all the things you just described about. Um, the moment we were in where terms like fake news uh, were being an alternative facts, and some of those words were just being coined in that moment. and um, it was right at the intersection of um, of journalism and of sort of an assault on um, the truth. And we felt like we had something to say. It also came in a moment where you know we were still and are still trying to um, grow our subscriber base. Um, if you if you think about the business, our business model, it's really still recent history. Our paywall isn't even ten years old yet. We just launched it in twenty eleven, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, and in a world where we need millions of people to pay to subscribe to us, we knew we needed to do a better job of telling the story of times journalism. So, the truth campaign was our first attempt at doing that. I joined the team um, right as the first ad was launching. And I think everyone on the team was pleased and surprised by how much attention it got, um, how much sharing it inspired. And I remember as I joined, the questions we were asking ourselves was whether we could repeat the success of that first ad that we launched in early 2017 and, and, and whether we should continue to use that phrase, the truth is, as the anchor for our campaign, which is Seems like a foregone conclusion at this point, because we've um, since gone on to build quite a bit of equity into that line and into that campaign. Um, So it's been it's been quite a journey. The the iteration of the campaign that we launched this past year um, was under the line, the truth is worth it. And what really attracted us to that line was that it had so many dimensions And we felt like we could take it in a lot of different places of sort of why the truth is worth it. The truth is worth pursuing. The truth is worth paying for. The truth is worth investing your time in as a reader, as a journalist. Um, And we felt like it would be a really fruitful territory for us to explore in our marketing. And so we set out to tell the story of some of our lines of coverage. And we were really inspired by... Gosh, so many of our journalists we probably could have made two hundred ads, and we ended up making six um and The conceit was built around the way a headline is built, and we used a sort of ever changing building headline on the screen as a way to show the journey of the journalist as they were reporting a story and so it sort of takes you into the mind and the experience of the journalist as they followed the storyline and You know, I think the one that has been, um, that really has been impactful was following Caitlin Dickerson's um, reporting on parents' uh, family separation at the border. And, you know, she started hearing rumors that parents were being separated from their children. And she at first couldn't get anyone in the government to acknowledge it. She kept getting the runaround and was being told that it wasn't happening or that it was only happening in really specific circumstances, then she kept getting tips to to the contrary. And so she just kept following the threads and eventually was able to, to get uh, some government officials on the record to acknowledge that it was an official policy and that they were systematically separating families at the border. Um, And that reporting led to, changes in the policies that led to the protests that happened around the country. Um, I mean, not her reporting alone, but the reporting by journal- by Caitlin herself and by journalists at our peer organizations, um, as well. And, you know, it's just one example of the impact that, you know, uncovering truth that people are trying to keep hidden, what it can, the impact that it can have. Um, the, the reason I think that one sticks with me the most is when we launched that spot, we thought we were a little late in launching it because the the, the acuteness of that family separation had passed uh, by the time we were able to get the spot live. But then the topic just kept coming back um, into view and there kept being new news around the topic. And so we continue a year later to, to be able to run that spot and have it really resonate. Um, I wish that that spot <laughs> was dead. I right. wish that there that it was completely yes. irrelevant and that we'd moved on um, as a country, but um, unfortunately, it continues to really resonate and feel I feel like it uh, captures uh, you know things that are happening in the here and now
0: so so what did readers respond how did readers respond to that?
1: Yeah, well, I think all of all of the spots that we've done over the last three years have been really well received by readers and subscribers um a lot of sharing and social um a lot of um conversation i think that is that that they sparked and that have been had um in a way that on other brands that i've worked on certainly people don't pick up in the same way going back to that kind of very first truth ad that we launched um The week that we launched that campaign was the first time the phrase enemy of the people was used and our reporters were banned from a White House briefing that week. And so it sparked a series of demonstrations around the country in support of a free press. And one of the things we saw and I think we're surprised to see um, was our ads, our print ads um, being held up as um, signs of protest in those demonstrations.
2: That's a great segue because I was going to ask Amy about the decision to air the campaign during the Academy Awards, which is obviously a huge pop culture event in the US, but also relatively lighthearted compared to the seriousness of this topic. So why did
1: you choose to air it there? If you think back to to that, again, to that moment that we were in in early 2017, um, the country was was in a moment where it was just starting to grapple with the fragility of truth and the role of journalism and the fact that journalism and specific journalists were really under attack and so we knew that the oscars um it, i i think that the team had, again this was right before i joined so i don't have all the first hand knowledge of exactly all the conversations that happened but my understanding is the team talked about um had plans to make the ad. And then all these things sort of happened right around the time that they were ready to launch. And the Oscars emerged as a place where it just seemed clear that it was going to play host to those conversations, whether that be on the red carpet or in acceptance speeches. I think that was also the week that um, Meryl Streep got, uh, you know, attacked by the president. And so it just felt like it was going to play as a backdrop to the cultural conversation that was happening. What we didn't know was that our ad would end up running adjacent to a tribute that Sting did to journal for journalism. That was part of the Oscars broadcast and our ad ended up running immediately adjacent to it, which gave the ad a ton of additional kind of resonance. Um, but that was just a happy <laughs> coincidence Happy coincidence. Uh, a or a one. generous, yeah. a generous uh, yeah. ad. <laughs> Trafficker, I don't know, <laughs> um, but we, you know, we didn't have control over that, and I don't think we even knew that that Sting was doing that that piece of content in the show. Um, so we just, you know, I think we've continually found that we there's these moments in culture where our journalism is already at the center of the conversation, and if we can find the right way to tell our story in those moments. Um, We get a lot more bang for our buck in our marketing investments because we tap into something people are already talking about. So
0: these, I mean, the way we view this as purpose strategists, these aren't ads to us. These are maybe you're, you know, you're paying for the time to air them, but they're purpose commitments, they're purpose statements. So so we're curious about how did your journalists react to this? Because all of a sudden the spotlight is on them and you're praising them and you're elevating them.
1: Well, I think their first instinct was to um, to not want to be part of it, because I think their journalists are. Kristen, you can probably speak to this are sort of trained to not make themselves part of the story. And I think journalists by nature, are a skeptical bunch. Um, it's part of their job, and so it, you know it was it was not an automatic thing for them to respond positively to to our advertising um, but it's been it's been really gratifying to see how positive the response has been. Um, you know, I think in a world where their work is so under the microscope and under attack, they really appreciate that. We're telling their story in a proactive way and helping people understand the importance and the rigor that goes into the kind of journalism that Times journalists do.
0: And Kristen, I know as a journalist, you have coached me so many times about the journalistic process.
2: Yes. And I think that that insight that a lot of people are not aware of the process behind journalism is what really fascinated me because this whole campaign is really built on the fact that people didn't understand what it takes to report on how the MTA is failing or, um, or ISIS or children at the border. And so Amy, can you talk a little bit about how that core insight was used to shape this campaign? And did you bring any journalists into the creation of these ads to say, can you unpack how you, wrote this story and how we got from, you know, a tip or a phone
1: call to this headline and then change. That was absolutely at the heart of of the insight that drove us to make the work. Um, We actually find that many of our readers and even some of our subscribers just don't understand everything that goes into producing the 250 stories that our newsroom puts out a day. Um, I think many people think that our reporters sit in the high rise in Manhattan and repackage other people's reporting or that we wouldn't dare put our journalists on the ground around the world in harm's way. And reality couldn't be further from the truth. As you mentioned, Carol, we have we have over 1600 journalists today, which is more than we've ever had reporting from 160 countries. We have 31 international bureaus, 12 around the U.S., um, and we found that when people understand that and understand that we are actually there getting the story or that we give our reporters the time and the space and the oftentimes legal cover to be able to go and report a story over a long period of time, it's really hard to get at. They appreciate that and it greatly increases their willingness to support us. Um, You know, we've had one of the one of the other ads that we made was about um, the reporting um, that uh, Suzanne Craig and Russ Butner did around Trump's taxes, and they worked for eighteen months on that story, and I think only had two or three bylines each in that time period, Um, and we gave them the space to do that and the resources required to do that, and you know, I don't think. if you Jody Cantor and Megan Megan Tui, who did the Harvey Weinstein investigative reporting, often talk about that 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 the space that they had and the support that they had, and and oftentimes the support of our legal team when they were under enormous pressure from Harvey Weinstein's legal team, that that was really what made the difference in their ability to ultimately get to the truth and get people to go on the record and get the the story nailed down so that it was sound enough that we could go to print with it.
0: So do you think that now that you have declared truth, I mean, it was always there You're the New York Times, you declared it as your purpose, as your mission, as your North Star, and then you unpack the process of how much you support your colleagues. Do you feel that that has changed or evolved or elevated the way the New York Times works?
1: I mean I don't think it's I mean it's always been there. We've been around for 168 years as of this year and I don't think I don't think there's really anything different if you go back to the words of like our very first founder and and hear him talk about the New York Times mission it sounds almost identical to how we talk about it today. So I don't think there's really been anything that's changed but I do think in a moment where trust in journalism is it, is at an all time low, and where people, I think, in a world of digital journalism, really don't understand the difference between real on the ground, originally reported journalism, and any other piece of content that they might find online, um, it's it's just important that we tell that story. Um, so I don't I don't think it's it's what we're doing that's different. I think it's it's the need to tell the story that has evolved.
0: And, and again, taking the journalist from behind the scenes yeah. and putting truth almost as your humanity. I, I know that you've talked in some of your ads, you talk about the truth has power. The truth will not be threatened. The truth has a voice. And I mean, it really, I, I think, as someone who follows purpose for you know over 30 years, that this has made almost the New York Times, you're more than journalism. You are a part of just the way we live and breathe. So so maybe I just drink the Kool-Aid too much.
1: But, but,
0: <laughs> I don't know. I just I love it. Hey, I have to tell you that I get so frustrated because when I'm sitting on a plane on the runway and I got my iPad and I want to read the times, right, and everything links to the internet and it's like, you know, you're in a dead zone and I go, I want to read that. I want to read that. Well, anyway, that's okay, why we me, still have print,
1: me. Carol. <laughs> Yeah, I, what is, I, well, it's what fun, is that? It's fun
0: I know. It's so funny because when I see print, like, you know, I go to one of the air, airline lounges and there's like a New York Times and I pick it up and I go, oh, it's the feel of paper. I can see the juxtaposition of the ads, which I actually like. But um OK, I'll stop. <laughs> Kristen, next to you.
2: <laughs> I actually want to talk a bit about the media industry as a whole, because being in what we'll call the purpose field, we tend to not focus as much on media organizations, um, especially I think like newspapers and magazines. We don't think of them as necessarily having that inherent purpose, like a major consumer products brand would. But I think in my opinion, media is one of the most just inherently purposeful industries and organizations. Um, And I think this campaign just brings that to the forefront. Like Carol said, um, New York Times wasn't necessarily advertising with this campaign. They were just saying that this is our job. This is, you know, we're doing it because the truth matters. Um, And I think we've seen more media organizations come to the fore in that sense, um, especially since Trump was elected. We have The Washington Post, which revealed its new tagline, Democracy Dies in Darkness, which is sounds a little bit dire, but also... um, (laughs) You know, it, I, I personally admire that they're saying that what we do is very important. So from your position, Amy, where do you see the media industry going just as far as purpose and then its role in society?
1: Yeah, I mean, I we certainly here uh, applaud anything that draws attention to the critical role that journalism plays in a healthy democracy. So we've been thrilled to see um, some of our peer news Organizations um, tell their own version of this story. Um, I I think the biggest barrier to, to news organizations doing this is that it's really hard to see past short term marketing investments, and and those tend to be more offer and price driven um, because it is a subscription business, and uh, you know paywalls are a fairly new phenomenon, and I think we're an industry that's still trying to find a viable business model. And so, you know, we we have the luxury of scale of the New York Times and being on a strong enough footing that we've been able to invest in brand marketing. And so we both, of course, do that for our own brand, but I think we also see it as a bit of a responsibility as a as a market leader to to tell that story on behalf of of all original um, deeply reported journalism. Um, high-quality journalism. And so, you know, hopefully more media organizations will will tell their own versions of this story. Um, I certainly don't see a downside to explaining to your readers what you stand for. Um, and the pillars of journalism, holding power to account and bringing truth to light, um, you know, we all share that purpose. Um, and we all need to remind people how important that is.
0: I think that unpacking how you do it, um, brilliant marketing and communications does do that. Um, there's, a, there's a new campaign out for ExxonMobil, which is Tiny Stories. And it's, they took, you know, how do you make algae into biofuels and made it really, really tiny. It's very provocative and obviously very, you know, I think it's created for ultimately TikTok and, and Gen Z. But let me go back to um, when you won at um, Cannes, And it was it was a Grand Prix. Um, You know, how did that make the organization feel? um, You know, getting that kind of global recognition.
1: It was it was pretty incredible, uh, and terribly humbling um, to win, as you said, not one but two Grand Prix Lions, Um, and we've won a slew of other awards this year for the campaign. I mean, I think it speaks to the quality of the the creative. Um, genius of our friends over at Droga Five. Um, and, y- you know, I also think it speaks to the power of our brand's purpose in a moment like the one we're in. Um, I certainly don't think we expected to go from being a brand that does zero brand advertising three years ago um, to one that's sharing a stage with the most iconic brand storytellers in the world like Apple and Nike. But um, But there we were. Uh, it certainly is a lot of pressure <laughs> as we move forward.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well for the yeah, absolutely obviously. But I heard that you said that um one of your advertisers said, I feel really good spending my yeah. ad dollars yeah. with you. Um so yeah. oh, that's I know. Like,
1: I, that's the goal. Yeah, I tell ticket. our CFO that story a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I also heard you also said that your newsroom was so excited about this, you know, persona, this humanity, the storytelling that they
1: suggested pitches, how you
0: should pitch marketers.
1: Yeah, we I mean, I I think that's been one of the biggest surprises of all, you know, I think to not um, only have our newsroom be proud of the marketing that we're doing, but. I think now they're seeing the value of it for their work. And so I do occasionally get um, an email or a Slack message from a colleague in the newsroom who says, hey, I'm working on this, you know, really interesting investigation. I think it's got this great backstory. It might make a good truth ad. Um, Or, you know, I have sometimes it's like I have this new idea (laughs) For, you know, (laughs) great ideas can come from anywhere, I guess, about, you know, something else we could do in our marketing that maybe we're not doing today. And so I think just even to have um, built the kind of relationships and trust between our team and the newsroom um, has been really gratifying that that they would even think about it as something that that they'd want to be a part of.
0: Yeah, I think that when you get the purpose right, it is it just brings everyone together in this incredible um, just, you know, powerful energy uh, producing force. So again, I think that that's what's happened. And um, I- I'm so thrilled for you. Um, Kristen, back to you.
2: So the campaign continues to evolve. And I know you recently had um, some creative around the issue of gender equality. So, You obviously just mentioned that you have um, journalists that are suggesting topics, but where do you see this campaign going in the next year or so?
1: Yeah, well, we think we've landed on a campaign idea, a platform um, that can bear fruit for quite a while. And, you know, part of why we love this idea of the truth being worth it is that it has so many dimensions. And we plan to keep exploring those and really following kind of where culture is going, what people are talking about and finding our voice in those moments. Um, You know, as we look ahead to next year in 2020, being an election year, demand for quality journalism and on the ground reporting is naturally going to be high. So, you know, we'll lean into that and I think continue to tell the story of how journalism is valuable um, to our readers, but I think specifically in an election year, how it's valuable to our democracy.
0: Um, Amy, what have you learned personally in terms of building a brand and marketing and really finding the authentic purpose? You know, what can you share with our listeners, uh, whether they're in um, in a media company or they're in a packaged goods company or a B2B?
1: I've always believed in the power of storytelling. And it's part of what attracted me to come work at the New York Times. And so I think it's two things. I think it's one, being really clear on why you exist and and putting that at the center of your storytelling. And then two, doing really ambitious storytelling. When my boss, David Rubin, who's the CMO here at the Times, joined, he challenged our team with this question, which is simple. But. But provocative, which is what if our marketing were to be as compelling and ambitious as our journalism, and that's been our north star um, for everything we've done. That that's that's just
0: what okay. That, so that's brilliant. Give us some other pearls of wisdom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the other thing is about just really knowing your consumer. I, I it's funny because you know we. Those of us on the business side mostly do work here in New York, and uh, and in a place where everyone reads the Times and everyone knows the Times as a brand deeply. But you know, it was interesting for me because I moved here from Chicago um, to for this role, and it was clear to me that people in Chicago don't think of the New York Times. It's the brand is certainly not as top of mind. It's still largely, um, I think, until recently, was seen as kind of a. You know, a New York or at least a regional paper, newspaper. I think that's changing really quickly, but um, we have to remind ourselves that we are not just because we're passionate about this brand um, and we know something, it's not necessarily how our consumers think about it. So we invest a lot of time and effort and money in really deeply understanding our consumers and digging deep for insights. It's not unlike the process of journalism <laughs> itself. <laughs> um yeah, right, and, right. you know, getting to a real insight, um, not just research, not just facts and figures, um, but really understanding something that's profound about and I think for us that about your brand and about their relationship with your consumers' relationship with your brand. And I think for us it was really understanding that people just had no idea how journalism is done and really couldn't articulate um, why what we were doing was worth paying for. They, they also expect it these days. People expect transparency and they want to know how how things get done behind the scenes and expect to be able to know that. And so, you know, for an organization, uh, for, you know, a practice like journalism that has a lot of... Um, very specific ways of doing things, many of which involve um, not revealing sources and, and having processes that aren't well understood by the general public, things like how we use anonymous sources or um, the difference between news and opinion, all of those kind of things aren't well understood. And so I think it's even more incumbent upon us in an industry like ours, where trust is so important to be as transparent as we can be um and i think that's a fairly new thing for our, our industry
0: absolutely um i we're just curious who do you admire for their purpose work it doesn't have to be in the the journalism field um i'm just curious is it something go wow
1: we got to learn from that one that's really great yeah well we we had an opportunity earlier this year to work with everlane and i've really come to admire their brand um through that process i think they have an incredible commitment to transparency. They would say radical transparency (laughs) and support causes that align with their company values, but also that align with what their customers care about, such as human rights and climate. Um, And so in April, we did a project with them, um, a line of shirts together to shine a light on the importance of climate journalism in helping people understand how they can make an impact on climate. Um, And it also gave more young people access to New York Times journalism. And through that, just getting to know how they think about um, those issues that are important to their customers and then how they bring that to life in their business practices, in the causes they choose to support as a brand, um, and just how they interact with their consumers was really inspiring for us. Everland's great. Um,
0: how about any other that you, others that you admire?
1: Um, you know, one of the other things we've been paying a lot of attention to is, um, Apple's work around privacy, um, particularly in a moment where, uh, you know, privacy is under the microscope and people are thinking a lot about, um, instances of where privacy has been, uh, perhaps abused or, um, <clears throat> or at least treated carelessly. Uh, and so I I think we, uh, you know, in terms of building trust with their consumer, their privacy initiative, and the way they talk about privacy and the way they build it into the choices they make um, as a product company have been really interesting to watch. And that's been instructive for us, uh, as we think not so much uh, I mean, certainly privacy is important to us, too, and we're doing a lot of work in that space as well. But I think more as a lesson for uh, how you take an issue, again, that your customers care deeply about and it's important in your, you know, your own company values uh, and bring that to life in the choices that you make as a
0: company. That's right. Just just curious about from where you sit, what do you think about this business strategy called purpose. I mean, are we in just a moment of radical transparency where every company needs to stand up for what they, you know, why do they exist? Or do you think this is something that is going to be the whole new way that companies and brands relate to their stakeholders?
1: You know, I don't know. It does feel like it's moving in that direction. And I think that more and more consumers are demanding that. And I think in a world where information is so available. Um, I can't see us going backwards. Um, it's you know it's interesting though because we we often say um, around the times because we have thought a lot about this and people will often ask us to talk about our purpose that um, in the world, most businesses are in search of a purpose um, and we're actually kind of the opposite. we're like a purpose in search of a business model. <laughs> 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 yeah. Meaning that, you know, the the market for paid journalism is really underdetermined. And so, you know, purpose for us is at the very center of everything we do. And we're trying to figure out um in a in a world that's rapidly changing and in and where our business model has had to evolve um from what it was, you know, at our founding and in many iterations before today. Um that we have to to find a a business model that can sustain our ambition for our purpose.
0: (laughs) And I wonder how much that is in terms of, because so many of our clients say got to go younger, you know, the the skilled trades is is a huge gap, you know, gap And we have to talk to young people in third grade and fourth grade, you know, why they don't all have to go to college, that they could go into skilled trades or STEM education or, you know, just going younger. Have you have you thought about at all? I don't know if, you know, literacy, you know, journalistic literacy for children. So uh, I don't know if you're looking at that at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, we certainly care deeply about it. One of the initiatives that we support and I actually um, serve on the National Leadership Council for is the News Literacy Project. And that's exactly what they're set up to do. Um, It's a nonprofit who is set up to build news literacy among middle and high schoolers. They actually have a whole curriculum to help young people um, kind of discern Back from fiction um, online and understand how to spot fake news, actual fake news, <laughs> um, and so that's you know I certainly really admire their work um, and there's others like that 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 I think I think more and more um, school systems and uh, curriculum writers are thinking about how to how to weave that in because I mean I have a 11 year old myself and I certainly um, you know observe as a parent the need for it. Um, and then, though, then again, I, I'm always amazed at how perceptive and um, insightful young people are because of the world that they're growing up in. That's so different. And they all automatically sort of bring a sense of discernment that maybe you don't see from, from, you know, older generations that are this world is newer to yeah, them. Yeah.
0: So I, I, you know, I know that with Gen Z, you know, that they would prioritize purpose in their work over their salary and that they're looking for authenticity. So perhaps this, that that generation is going to really be one of our saviors. Um, Certainly uh, Greta Thunberg is, is, you know, a rock star at the age of 16, really being out there, but there's so many others. Um, As we close and we hate to do that because we love this conversation. And of course, you know, I love the New York times. um, What's your personal purpose?
1: So, I guess I would say it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, to do my part to make a positive impact on the world and ideally leave it in better shape, at least the portion of it that I can, <laughs> in better shape than I found it. Um, and I think that's taken different forms over different stages of my life. You know, early in my career, I, I worked in the nonprofit sector full time. And so that was my career. I think now as a parent, I, I think about it and how I raise my two daughters. Um, I do that through my volunteer work. And, and I, and I you know, a big driver for me in joining the New York Times was the opportunity to marry what I'm good at professionally with what I'm passionate about personally. And so, you know, this to me has been a big expression of my personal purpose um, because I really believe in, in the mission of the New York Times.
0: Oh, that That's wonderful. Christian, I'm going to give you a you know a last question and then I'll wrap it up.
2: My closing question, Amy, is do you suggest any resources for our listeners to learn more about the importance
1: of independent journalism and how they might support it? Sure. I think two things. I mentioned the News Literacy Project. They have a newsletter called The SIFT, which is fantastic. It explores the ethics of facts. Um, in, in this age of misinformation. I think it's, it's aimed at educators, but I actually uh, find that it's it's really it reads well and is useful for anyone who cares about news literacy. The other, um, I'd say is to read, if you haven't read Jody Cantor and Megan Tooley's book, she said, um, which is a little self-serving, sorry. <laughs> it's about the New York Times, but it, it gives a real behind the scenes look into there. Investigation of Harvey Weinstein that sparked the Me Too movement. And I I think it does, you know, like kind of like the Daily and the Weekly both do, gives a real behind the scenes look into how journalism is done and helps give people a real appreciation for why journalism is an enabler of getting to the truth. Um, And I think it's important to understand that in a world with all the rhetoric. Um, the anti-press rhetoric that, that's going on right
0: now. So that's great. So I want to thank um, Amy Weisenbach for sharing with us. It, it's not just about a purpose campaign, but it's about the essence and the heartbeat of the New York Times. And when um, you were at Page, you um, mentioned this quote on the wall in your office. And I want to end with this. And it said this, some people hate the Times. Some people love the times all people read the times so amy weisenbach thank you so much for joining purpose 360 you've been a fabulous guest so thank you so much
1: thank you thanks for having me it's been a delight
0: and we just like to ask our listeners to address this issue as amy has in her own life what's your purpose and have a great day